Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is coming. Our text for our sermon is Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. To the messenger of the church in Ephesus write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this, I know your works, your labor and your patient endurance, and that you are not able to tolerate evil people. You have tested those who say they are apostles, but are not, and have found them to be liars. Indeed, you do have patient endurance. You have endured hardship on account of my name and have not become weary. But I have this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember, therefore, the state from which you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Otherwise, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place if you do not repent. But you do have this. You hate the actions of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the privilege to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This is the word of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, our exalted Lord from his heavenly throne has a message for the church in Ephesus to the Apostle John to give. And there's a lot of praise in this. But then there's a problem. From here on out, as you've become used to, I will be preaching on my own translation. And verse 4 spells out the problem for the congregation in Ephesus. It says, But I keep on having this against you, that you have left your love, specifically your first one. It is interesting that the Greek verb used for left is the Greek verb used for divorce. And it emphasizes not just your love, specifically your first one. See, there are lots of pagan temples in Ephesus, and they're not going to those pagan temples and worshiping other gods. Probably what's meant here is what we all battle with with our sinful nature individually. They're starting to worship and love themselves more. They're starting to have problems seeing beyond their own nose. Maybe they're starting to have problems with money, but I think it's probably just that their, their first love has, has started to break the first commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. We can only do that with the Holy Spirit in our heart giving birth to that new person so that we know that Jesus Christ died for our sins. And with that new person in our heart, then having God as our first love, then we also love our neighbor as ourselves. So as we started this series last week and we'll continue throughout, uh, the overall writing theme for this series is questions to ask ourselves as we read the message to the seven churches. But today's question as we look at the problem with Ephesus is, have we abandoned our first love? This probably happened with a few individuals and just escalated and grew louder and louder. So let's jump into our text and answer that question, starting at verse 1, which says, To the angel of the assembly in Ephesus, you are to write these things. The angel. I covered this last week where this is probably not a spirit being because the Greek uh, word angelos means messenger. And I'd mentioned the way our congregation is organized now is not quite how things were in the early Christian church. Christians gathered together in each other's homes. But it seems there was one person, as, as Peter calls himself, a fellow overseer. And that's not an overlord, 
there seemed to be one person in that community who especially had the word and made sure it was being taught in its truth and purity. And in Ephesus, the apostle Paul had started that, so he would have been that person for a while. And he sent his, what he called his spiritual son, his assistant, Timothy. And even the apostle John, when all the other apostles had left, John had been that person for a while, but now he's exiled in, in, on Patmos. So there is somebody there who is to make sure the word is taught. And that word I translated as assembly is from the Greek word ecclesia. It means those who are called out, called out of this world, called out of slavery to sin, death, and the devil, called to be God's children. But that also means they're called to gather together, as you do today uh, here in Bomber Mountain Civic Center, as you do as Lord of Lords Lutheran Church. So... Things are going good in Ephesus in some ways, but there's something going wrong. So what does the spokesman of the Trinity do? He sends a messenger to the chief messenger. The plan is you stick with my word, you proclaim this message, and that's what's going to encourage them to keep doing what they've got right, and that's what's going to fix what's going wrong. So as we ask the question, have we abandoned our first love, we can see right away as an application of verse 1, when we love God, we will gather together around his word. Now, the second half of verse 1 then says, The one who keeps on holding as the Lord, the previously mentioned seven stars in his right hand, the one who keeps on walking in the middle of the previously mentioned lampstands, specifically the ones made of gold, he says, we're going to stop right there before we get to what he says. This all reminds us back at, at chapter 1 from last week's sermon. Those messengers, the messengers of the seven congregations I covered last week, those seven congregations are meant to be representative of all of the bride of Christ, all the Christian churches of all time until he returns. The seven messengers, he says, I have you in my hand. That means those messengers are protected. And we know in history, when the Roman government goes after these people, they're going after the messenger first. Now, today that messenger in a congregation tends to be, well, is the pastor. But... Those who are proclaiming the word chiefly and seeing it's taught, Jesus is saying, I have you in my hands. And, and once again, the lampstands, and he goes out of the way to specify that they're made of gold. Those lampstands, recall from chapter 1, were, were before the throne of God. And it, the fact that it emphasizes that they're gold means they're precious. They're so precious, and do you know what makes them precious? The blood of Christ. He purchased and won them and made them his own. So if those lampstands, and right now we're focusing on, on Ephesus, if they are before the throne of God, not only does he have the messengers in his hands, but he has the congregations before his throne, which means he is ruling over all time and history and creation for them. So as we ask the question, have we abandoned our first love? We've seen when we love God, we will gather together around his word. And sometimes this is the difficult thing to do, like in persecutions and stuff, because we may not see it. But when we love God, we will trust in his protection. He has you before him. He has you in his hands. Now we get into verse 2, into the message, and that begins, Jesus says, I have perceived your works and your labors and your perseverance. It's interesting. The word that he uses for knowledge is a word for seeing. He has seen this. And if we remember back last week at Revelation chapter 1, verse 14, John had described Jesus on his throne, and he says, And his eyes were as flames of fire. What a beautiful picture of Christ's 
omniscience. That means he knows everything. He has seen this congregation, and there's a crescendo that builds up. He starts with works, and then he talks about works that involve blood, sweat, and tears, so labors. And then the last word is actually having a heavy load, but remaining underneath it. Now, obviously, they have day-to-day vocations, but what he's talking about is that they have continued to do the work of sharing God's love and sharing the good news of salvation. And if you want to know why it involved blood, sweat, and tears, why it involves remaining underneath the load, read in Acts the founding of Ephesus and what it took for the Lord to found that congregation there. Ultimately, as we look at this, and and again, they're commended for this, as we ask that question, have we abandoned our first love? We can see when we love God, we will work, labor, and even persevere for the good news of salvation in Christ. What a privilege to share that. What a privilege to even toil to share that message. Now, in the second half of verse 2, he says, and so that you continue being unable to bear those who are bad. Kind of a neat picture there. First he says, look at how you bear up underneath the load, but there's a load you will not bear up under. You're not going to bear bad. I struggled how to translate the Greek word. It's kakos. Uh, it's one of two words that's used uh, to translate evil. Uh, for example, when uh, the, the, the Hebrew word ruah for evil, when the, the, the translation that the Apostle Paul even quotes out of in the New Testament, the Greek translation, that's called the Septuagint. This is one of two words used for evil. Now, this word seems a little softer than the other one, which is really wickedness. And, and we wonder, well, why would that be? Well, he's talking about fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who have let their sinful nature have the steering wheel, if you know what I mean. And so a good example of that is actually spelled out in Paul's letter to the Philippians in chapter 3, verses 17 through 21, where he's also talking about Christians who they've embraced their Christian freedom, but then say, Christ will forgive me, I'm going to live in sin in that. So uh, he says, brothers... Join together in imitating me and paying attention to those who are walking according to the pattern we gave you. That's letting the new man behind the steering wheel, right? To be sure, many walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. I told you about them often, and now I am saying it while weeping. Their end is destruction. Their God is their appetite, and their glory is in their shame. They are thinking only about earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. We are eagerly waiting for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. By the power that enables him to subject all things to himself, he will transform our humble bodies to be like his glorious body. When we have that new life, our life is transformed. And so we let that new man do the, the, the steering. Although we have to admit, sometimes the sinful nature grabs the steering wheel and he could cause a wreck. So we see here as we ask the question, have we abandoned our first love? When we love God, we will not put up with what does not do good. That's what is evil. In other words, what does not glorify God. And by good, we're not talking about man-made laws of good. We're talking about what God tells us is good, what glorifies and pleases Him. And so we continue the last third of verse 2, we're told, And so you have tested those who are saying they themselves are apostles, and yet they are not. And so you found them to be liars. Now, at this time, only one of what we think of as apostles is still alive. That's John. But the Greek word apostello means to be sent out with a commission. 
I think what's going on here is these people aren't claiming to be apostles like Paul, but they're claiming that Jesus has appeared to them and taught them and given them a message, and so they have a message directly from Christ, and that they had seen the resurrected Lord. We see that still today in, in churches when, when people get up and claim that God has been talking to them. And, and, and what are we to do? Well, as, the word here used for testing is a thorough examination. It's, it's not that the people were saying, I don't like the way you comb your hair, therefore I don't like you and reject you as an apostle or something like that. They weren't being contentious but they were being what the Bereans are commended for in the book of Acts. When Paul brought the word to them, they opened up what we now call the Old Testament, and they searched the scriptures, and they saw what he was teaching conformed to that, to those scriptures, and they became believers. That is what we are to do. And I often say, do not believe something because I, Pastor Sherman, tell you so. Search the scriptures and believe it for yourself. There was no contentiousness here, but when they search the scriptures they have, and remember, right now, every book of the New Testament has been written except for the book of Revelation. They're even able to use some New Testament scriptures to step back and say, uh-uh, you claim your teachings from God, it does not line up with the word of God. It's a reminder for us, too, when we love God, we will test those claiming to be sent by him but we test him with his word. Now in verse 3, we're told, And so you keep on having perseverance, and you bore a load on account of my name, and you have not grown weary. Again, that word, you keep on having perseverance, that's that word picture of remaining underneath the load. And he says, and you bore a load. That's the picture of, of putting a heavy load on your back. Sometimes the gospel, the good news of salvation in Christ, bringing it to our neighbor can, can, be quite a, can seem like quite a load to carry because we've got to fight with our own sinful nature. The world is trying to get us to drop that load, but they continued bearing that heavy load. And what does he say? It's because on account of his name. You've heard me say many times when the Bible talks about the name of the Lord, God's name is what he reveals about himself, about what he does for us. So, for example, the name Jesus means Savior. They were bearing all the work God does for us, the fact that God himself had become a man and bore our sins for us. And they were sharing that with others. And sometimes it's really hard to go to somebody and show them, for example, their sin. That can seem like a heavy load, especially when they resent us for it. But we don't show them their sin to say, I'm better than you, look at your sin. We show it to them so we can show them, you need to have this sin washed away, and guess what? I've got the blood of Christ, so we can pour that blood of Christ on it. And in the end, he says, you have not grown weary. It always scares me as a pastor when I hear people say, I think we've got burned out from sharing the word of God. We've got burned out from doing evangelism. That means a person wasn't looking at it right, or sometimes maybe a congregation doesn't love the word of the Lord, and this person's the only one doing evangelism. But it really is neat what a privilege it is, and sometimes with our friends even, it can be quite a burden to keep coming over and over again and remain calm and patient and loving with them. Sometimes it takes years before that Holy Spirit uses the word to break through a sin-enshrouded heart. But the Ephesians have not grown weary. So what do we see here as we ask the question, have we abandoned our first love? When we love God, we will bear his name. 
And we already know the reason, even though it's not mentioned here, because he wrote his name on you. Christian, Christian, property of God. He purchased and won you and made you God's child. Now verse 4 gets to the problem. But I keep on having this against you, that you have left your love, specifically your first one. So we already covered that at the intro of the sermon, but he continues telling them what he wants them to do about it. Therefore, start and do not stop remembering from where you have fallen. In the inspired Greek language here, he actually asks the question, from where have you fallen? If a person no longer has God as first place in his heart, they've fallen from grace. They've fallen from being in love with God. Searching question. This is the work of the law that does that. But then he says, and change your mind and do the first works. Literally, that's the Greek word for repent. But the good news of salvation in Christ is the only thing that's going to make us change our mind about what should be first place for love in our hearts. And then he says, and get back to doing your first works, those works of of enduring the word and, and bearing that heavy load and sharing the word and even being willing to suffer on account of the name of the Christ. But then he says, now if you do not, then I am coming and I will move your lampstand from its place unless you change your mind. Again, repent. These are some scary words. Remember, the lampstands are before the throne of God, of Christ, and he's ruling uh, for them. If he says, if you don't repent, I'm going to move your lampstand, what does that mean? You're done. I'm throwing your lampstand away. And the sad truth of the matter is, if you go to Ephesus today, it's a tourist attraction. It's in ruins. There's no Christian church there. That's a warning for us. And so when we ask, have we abandoned our first love, we see when we love God, we will always remember the grace we have, the good news of salvation in Christ. And that really changes our heart so that we live in repentance and we do his work. We stop thinking past uh, the point of, of our nose and start thinking about God's love for us, God's love for our neighbor, the forgiveness we live in. So we live in repentance and the work he gives us. Now in verse 6, he goes back to commending them. He says, but you keep on having this, that you keep on hating the work of the Nicolaitans, whom I myself also keep on hating. We don't know much about the Nicolaitans. Most of what's recorded about them dates back to 250 or newer A.D., which means it's probably not that reliable. Irenaeus wrote about them wrote about them about 50 years after John wrote uh, the uh, book of Revelation. Irenaeus was fighting against a cult called Gnosticism, and Irenaeus got so hung up in the fight that he often uh, uh, calls a lot of things Gnostic that aren't. So, poor brother Irenaeus, he was very much a, a tool against against that cult. But sometimes what he says can't be that reliable either. The truth of the matter is what we know about the Nicolaitans is what's stated here and what's stated uh, a message to two churches after Ephesus. We'll get into that in a couple of weeks. But for the time being, here's what we know about the Nicolaitans. They were false teachers. And he says that the people in Ephesus keep on hating their works. False teaching bears bad fruit. It can often bear divisions and animosity and everything else. But what does he say about their false teaching? That the the Ephesians hate the works of that false teaching, but Jesus says about the Nicolaitans, whom I myself keep on hating. The God of love, the God who died for you and me when we were still sinners and his enemies, 
I keep on hating them. God hates false teaching because false teaching, like Charlie Brown's sweater unraveling, will always end up unraveling with your salvation as a free gift from God. So, as we ask the question, have we abandoned our first love? We see when we love God, we will hate what he hates, and that is false teaching. Now, that doesn't mean the minute somebody teaches falsely that we immediately hate them. We'll hate the teaching. It means first, in Christian love, we try to correct it. And when it becomes clear that they will not be corrected, and we say, I'm done with you. They used to run from the tax collectors because they were legal thieves. We run from them and avoid them and do not support that false teaching. Back to verse 7 in the concluding message, he says, The one who keeps on having ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the assemblies, that's again those called out to assemble together, to the one who keeps on conquering, I will give to the conqueror the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So it uses Garden of Eden imagery here. And at the end of Revelation, Psalm 22, it talks about being before the throne of God uh, and, and what the church made visible, the city of God is going to look like. But here we can look back at Adam and Eve, who originally had paradise. And then they chose to eat from the, child, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They had sinned. And if God had allowed them to eat from the tree of life, they would be stuck like the devil was, stuck for eternity as sinners, as evil. So God banned them from that tree of life. The tree of life is actually a dead timber that went across itself and our Lord was nailed to it. And that dead timber is now empty and so is the tomb. God gives you faith. Now, how do we conquer? Well, Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, So then faith comes from hearing the message and the message comes through the word of Christ. That's what created your new person. And so when we come to the word, the new person is nourished. When we stay in that word, searching those who claim to be apostles and all that stuff, that very word is going to nourish our new man, and we conquer. We become the victor, but the true victory is Christ who conquered our sin and put the Holy Spirit in our hearts and gave us his word that assures us of that victory. So when we love God, we will conquer by hearing and using his word. So today we've asked the question, have we abandoned our first love? And we've seen when we love God, we will gather together around his word, when we love God, we will trust in his protection. When we love God, we will work, labor, and persevere for the good news of salvation in Christ. When we love God, we will not put up with what does not do good. In other words, what does not glorify God. When we love God, we will test those claiming to be sent by him using his word. When we love God, we will bear his name. When we love God, we will always remember the grace we have and thereby live in repentance and do his work. When we love God, we will hate what he hates false teaching. And when we love God, we will conquer by hearing and using his word because he has already given us the new heaven, which means we get to eat from the tree of life. He's given us the new person. Amen. Now may the God of hope fill you with complete joy and peace as you continue to believe so that you overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.